Welcome to the Client Experience Collaborative Podcast. This collaborative combines client savvy's deep industry knowledge of CX and professional services firms and 16 years of client feedback gathering and analysis with CX Pilot's two decades of embedding CX into unique business-to-business cultures. This bi-weekly podcast is for firm executives and CX leaders looking for tips, secrets, ideas, and resources from two of the CX industry's most innovative pioneers. To access this community and stay informed, go to clientexperience.com and join the mailing list today. And now, here's our host, Blake Godwin. Hello, this is Blake Godwin with the Client Experience Collaborative Podcast. Excited to be back uh, with my two partners in crime, Stephen Keith and Ryan Sedam. Gentlemen, how are you both doing today? Fantastic. Hey, Blake, doing well. Good, good. So uh, a lot of, lot of interesting things happening on out there in the world right now. I think so many different professional services firms are really being inquisitive about how to implement CX into their firm. And I, I hear a lot of questions, you know, how do I do it? What's the most consumable way to get started? Should I use Pareto principle to, to get CX started? So today, we're going to talk about different opportunities, different ways to get started, the whys, the hows, the who's, the benefits, the challenges associated with all of them. And I think this will be a great topic for all of our listeners who are, are considering it, who are getting started, because I think there's a lot of great insights from everybody here on the call, how to make this more palatable, consumable, and easy to enter into more intentional CX efforts. So I want to start off by saying, you know, first, why do we want to implement CX into our firm? Why do we maybe want to look at our top client to get started? Maybe look at our top 20% of our revenue to get started, top 80% of our revenue rather, and, and maybe why even look at our bottom 20%? I think there's a lot of different ways to get started. So Stephen, I, I, I want to open up this dialogue to you about maybe why we want to get started, no matter how we get started, and then we'll get into the, to the hows. So why, we, why, why to get started with, with CX or, or, or why to focus? Right. Right. To stay very, how to stay, why to stay focused and targeted on your CX approach when implementing CX into your firm? So um, the way that we like to approach this with our clients is to help them understand that not all customers are created equal. So, um, as Blake, as you said in your opening, it's, you know, a, a fairly reliable constant is that 80% of your revenue can, can typically come from, uh, the, you know, 20% of your, of your clients. And then the, the question that we get all the time is, well, doesn't it make sense for us just to focus, uh, our CX resources and energies on improving you know, the NPS or improving satisfaction rates or improving um, other metrics on that 20% because that's where most of our money comes from. And the, I think the answer to that question is, is you know, like many things, it's, it's going to depend. I think if you're in a, a more mature stages of CX in your firm, and I, let's just be honest, like I, I believe that most of our listeners probably are not, um, 
you have very little risk in applying CX to your top 20%. If you are not, you might consider applying CX, um, you know, take the training wheels approach and, and, and think about applying um, CX, you know, applying early stage CX to your bottom 20%. It sounds totally counterintuitive, but it's, it's an approach that you really ought to think about. Yeah, I, I think that's an interesting way to look at it. And, and again, the it depends piece comes into play there. If you're a firm whose 20% is full of some potential gold mines where, you, you know what, uh, we've got a fringe client that's, that, that's, you know, yeah, they drop us some scraps off their table, but we know up on top of that table is a massive feast and, and there's other firms out there, uh, 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 uh getting a whole lot of work from this client we just kind of get 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 some crumbs focusing in on that you know what if you screw something up if it goes sideways if it doesn't work the way you thought it would you really haven't lost a whole lot but the upside if it does work if you do figure it out you can take this you know trivial uh, uh dent uh on your uh bottom line and turn it into a massive revenue producer so so there's certainly uh some opportunity down there if, if, if your bottom 20% are full of one-time clients and, and, and fly-by-nights and, and, you know, uh, there's just not a lot of long-term upside there, I think that can be a less compelling reason to, to focus. I'm going to make uh, maybe an argument uh, on the other side. If you're just getting started, if you're really just thinking about client experience, what about your number one client? And when you're thinking about getting buy-in from your employees, when you're thinking about creating the rallying cry for change across an organization, if CX is what, 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 what you know, you're promising your staff it'll be, if it'll deliver the kind of results that, that you're telling everyone is going to deliver, you know, uh, uh, increased retention, revenue, uh, uh, a deeper share of wallet, higher margins, all these things we all talk about if we don't care about our top client enough to do it with our top client, why should we take the time and change and try to do it for anybody else? So, so, so there's some really interesting ways you could look at this and I think uh, maybe there's not a wrong way to do it, but there's different ways to do it and there's advantages each way. Yeah, there's, you know, I, I think we talked a lot about the different ways to do it. I, and and I, I want the listeners to understand the whys, um, you know, statistically, there are many firms that have strong CX programs and very targeted CX programs. And the reason why they do this is for differentiation and the outcomes that are associated with differentiation. For all you listeners that are out there, specifically you, you leaders or marketers or business development folks inside of your firm, we talk to hundreds a year and, and, and so does Steven. And, and the reality is we know that even our top 20% of our clients, i.e. 80% of our revenue, if we're following that model, we're not doing all the work for those clients that we could be. We're not. And in fact, most of us are typically competitively bidding on different engagements. We've got the same competition every time coming against us every time. Why is that? Why is that? And the, and the reason is, is because the expectations are not being set differently from firm to firm. They're not. If they were, you would be under negotiated contracts. You would be, be doing as much work as you could handle with those clients. And what that all boils down to 
especially with elections around the corner, still dealing with some uncertainty, right? If you've got a $10 million year client who is most likely going to be doing a million next year, and you've been happy having 10% share of their wallet now, you're probably not going to be happy with 10% next year because that million turned into 100,000, which is a problem for your scale and business. So the reason why you do this is to stay strong, to differentiate, to have more negotiated contracts versus competitive bid, which gives you more profitability. It's about client retention. It's about getting better investments back from your CX efforts and being able to drive towards just a, a different way of dealing with clients and, and, and setting new expectations. And I think that's the real reason. And for anyone who doesn't have this, start looking up, looking up some of the firms. And if you've got any questions about firms who are taking a strong CH approach, CX approach, send us an email. Send us a message at clientexperience.com and we can give you some insights and some firms to look at who are doing this because uh, their business outcomes are looking very differently today than a lot of other firms who aren't. So let's talk about the how, Ryan. I, I, I know that there's, a, there's the top client, there's your top 20% of your clients, there's, you know, you could even take the approach of what are our highest growth opportunity clients, right? If you've got an A, an A class where you're doing most of the work, a B where you've got a ton of opportunity and a C, well, maybe you don't want to really be doing work with them, but they kind of fill the bank and the, and the backlog and all the other things that you're doing. Tell us about, you know, how do we go about doing this? Well, I think one of the fundamental flaws we all make in, in trying to start this process is we don't know who our best clients are. We don't know really what our clients are worth. And, and, and so many firms struggle with this. And, and I've seen some, some really uh, uh, complex and yet very subjective ways to assess who's a good client. You know, is it revenue? Is it profit? Is it opportunity? Is it potential? Is it, you know, uh, 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 all kinds of things. So uh, uh, um, without objective science and objective data to evaluate who your best clients are, it's difficult to understand even where to focus or, or be, because you can't identify who's my top 20%, who's my bottom 20%. Uh, I'll argue looking at, you know, our top 20% of revenue producers, not a good way to identify who your top clients are. You know, top 20% profit producers. Well, you know, is that percent profit? Is that net profit? Uh, 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 you know, a lot of firms and professional services have a, a banner project come in and it's a one-time client, but, man, it's going to keep us juiced up for the next year or two. And, and, and it looks like our top client, but then they're gone because they only kind of buy the thing we have every 20 years. So uh, uh, really understanding what is a client worth? And there's language you use, client lifetime value or CLV, really starts putting all that together very objectively. Now you're looking at you know, what kind of revenue do they provide on an ongoing basis? What kind of margins? How long do they do business with us? You know, really, it's looking at what is this client going to be worth to us over the lifetime that we're going to work together, adjusted for net present value. Now you can start looking at, okay, objectively, what clients are most valuable? And, and objectively, where could we see more value? Because 
you can look at that based on you know proposal win rate and 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 a share of wall and some other ways there as well so what might not look like a, a more than a blip on your radar could be your number one client in fact i would say almost every listener to this podcast has a top 10 client somewhere in their bottom 100 and they just don't know it Stephen, go ahead i want to grab the baton right here because what you're, I, I totally agree with what you're saying. And I want to I share a trick with our listeners that has been really valuable. When we talk about the value, like focusing on those that provide the most value, I'm, I'm going to guess that 95% of those of you who are listening, when you think of the value that they, that they provide, you're thinking about the economic value that they provide. One of the tricks that we have really focused on is is thoroughly deconstructing what value means so that you know where to focus your CX efforts. If you take, let's assume in a, in a rosy scenario that you do calculate a, a client lifetime value score, which is essentially, just to reiterate what, what Ryan said, the amount of financial value that you're going to receive in partnership with that particular client. What if, and here's the trick, what if we expanded the notion of value to include not only the economic value, you know, the CLV of a client, but what if you added a trust factor and a respect factor and a potential future growth factor and a profitability factor? What if you like added all those things up uh, and just use- The ever present a pain in the ass tax. <laughs> yeah, the pain in the ass tax. Um, we, we've actually done that with, um, one of the clients that, 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 that CX pilots and client savvy shares. Like we, we actually built a, or we wrote a quick algorithm that takes the firm's CLV. It then adds a, a subjective layer of trust. Like, do we trust them? Do we feel they trust us? Do we respect them? Do they respect us? And just using a simple like, you know, scale of one to five, if you ask 10, you know, 10 engineers inside of a firm, do you think that, do you think that client trusts us? You're going to get a really interesting range. Future growth. Ryan, I, I know that you, I heard you say this earlier, but like, do, do our people, you know, does our, our, our bench, you know, and our star players have an opportunity to grow their career to become engaged, further engaged in what they're doing. And profitability, like look at margin, like is this an opportunity, like this sort of calls into that, um, calls into the equation, the pain in the ass factor, but you know, are, are we going to be nickeled and dimed or are we going to, um, do, we, do we have a, a fair and equitable partnership here? That's all part of this win, keep, develop, shed model, like which is basically like, is this a client that we need to win that they're not a client now? Is this a, a client that we need to keep uh, exactly as they are? Is this a client that we need to develop? Meaning like we have to, we have to work on the, on the vectors of trust and respect and potential future growth and profitability and et cetera. Or is this a client we just have to get rid of? Do we, you know, do we shed this, this client? I think all of those things should go into factoring the um, where should we focus our CX efforts? And Stephen, I think, uh, you know, uh, so many professional services firms are 
you know, the professionals got into it, not for necessarily the technical work, but they got into it because of the passion that they have for the profession, you know, architects who, who, who want to save the planet, uh, 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 lawyers and attorneys who are focused on, on justice because it's the right thing to do. There's a lot of very strong underlying motivators that, that brought many, if not most of us into this industry. One of the neat things I heard one of my clients say is that, you know, we want to attract and grow the kind of clients that let us live our mission. You know, I was working with a design firm who was really big in sustainability and, you know, for them to get to do sustainability work, they had to, you know, find the kind of companies who are passionate about buying sustainable design solutions. And so, you know, sometimes that even transcends profit motive. It goes into the who of who I am as a leader and, and as a, a designer. And, and boy, if we, you know, there's not as many buyers who care about that stuff as passionately as maybe we do. So when we find them, let's take better care of them than anyone else so that we can get more of that kind of work. And you know what, if we get more of that kind of work, we become the kind of firm who's known for that. So we attract the kind of staff who share our passion for sustainability. And so we can hire the best people for doing that. And again, I know probably every other episode we talk about the vicious versus virtuous cycle, but these create some really strong reinforcing loops. Yep. Agreed. Yeah, it's, that's really, really important. I also want to break this down at a, at a really high level for our listeners. There's a couple things that you have to do regarding the how. You've got to assess, you've got to then design, and then you have to implement. Uh, I'm mentioning this because Ryan said something about, you know, it feels right. It's a pat on the back. It's a checkbox. And I know we talk about this a lot too. A half-assed CX effort can actually create negative outcomes for your firm. So no matter what, no matter how you're deciding to implement this, you've got to make sure that you assess, that you design, and that you actually implement what you find out from the assessment, from what you decided to do with the design, and that you actually follow through. And then lastly, you've got to measure the successes of it. Uh, as an example, let's, let's take Ryan's suggestion of focusing on your top client. Capture some feedback on your hard skills, on your soft skills, on your deliverables. Understand what your client thinks about you at, at, during the, the entire life cycle of an engagement. Do that through interviews. Do it through electronic surveys. Do, just capture some feedback from the most important stakeholders at that top client. And then go and sit down with somebody like Steven and do an outcome-based journey mapping. Think, take all the feedback draw out the, the, the journey, figure out all the problems where your clients may be having anxiety or they're having frustrations, and then take that journey map, create a, a change management plan, implement that change, and then measure that change a couple months down the road after it's been implemented. And you'll see the benefits that are able to come from that. I think, Stephen, you, you've, you've seen this a lot where, you know, specifically in journey mapping, you, you can't just go in there to check the box. It's got to be outcome oriented. You know, use that top client as example. You go in, you capture feedback, you draw out a journey map, you put together a, a quasi action plan and don't do anything with it. What's that top client going to think? Uh, that you're paying lip service right. to, to, to the 
to the discipline. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, it, it can really, it can actually create some, some, uh, challenging outcomes for a firm. So I do want to make sure everybody knows, like make sure that whatever you're doing, you can act on it, you can implement it and you can make change. So let's talk about who, right? I think this is a really interesting topic. Um, I don't know about you, Stephen, but it's, it's funny for, for us here at Client Savvy. Uh, I think most firms think that, you know, this, this effort lives in marketing. Um, it, it seems to be the path that, that every firm wants to take. I'd love to get your perspective on the who. Who's, who are the folks that should be responsible for assessing which direction to take their CX focus and operationalizing it? Yeah, so there, um, I fully appreciate this question. I, I think that um, I, I, I agree with you. A lot, of, a lot of CX efforts or you know, professional services firms that have set out to figure out this whole CX uh, EX employee experience thing. Uh, they, you know, they, they operate from not really knowing, like they, they've, they've scraped a lot of information from the web. They've done some research and they've say, okay, this is what we're going to do. Um, who's the most likely to, to run this. It's probably the people, let's just get, let's just have marketing do it. It's, I think that's, a, that's very common. What is sitting in every one of your firms most likely is a, um, is a sales uh, mentality, a, a marketing mentality, um, an HR mentality, a, um, uh, a finance mentality. Like a lot of people are looking at this from a lot of different angles. I find it to be a lot more successful if you pull together a task force of people from it, at the very least your marketing, your sales, your HR, and your finance, and then one person who's you know part of the executive leadership, depending on the size of your firm, and you talk through, uh, you talk through the the value equations, like what? So we're about to um, invest in this whole CX thing. What are the things that we want to put into it, and what are the things we want to take out of it? So um, if you're not including uh, sales, and you're not including HR, and you're not including um, finance, uh, you're going to be, to me, it's like, I, I, I liken it to the story of like a single mother, um, without, a, an advanced toolbox who, who needs to, you know, change out a, a, a wall plug and she's using, um, she has a pair of pliers and a butter knife. Uh, but you know, she still is driven to like figure out how to solve the problem, how to, how to change out the plug in and the wall. And, and, you know, so, uh, she does she just clearly doesn't have the right tools to do it. It's a dangerous thing to do, but she's going to do it anyway. That's that mentality that a lot of people start out with. You know, they they're going to CX with a pair of pliers and a and a butter knife to you know to figure out. They hand it to marketing. Marketing then says, okay, so what do we need to do? We need to like increase the satisfaction of our clients. Okay, um, and then they 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 start that cycle of researching. You know who's doing it on the web? How are they doing it? And then they just they kind of fudge it. They don't have the you know right levels right. of support at the top, et cetera. And the problem with that, Stephen, is the outcomes are shocking. <laughs> Sorry, dun, dun, dun. I have to do that. You yeah, know, uh, Stephen, I think, yeah, uh, need to include at least one other stakeholder in this equation, and particularly in professional services, that's going to be. Uh, a project management, project delivery. 
It's, it's, you know, who is really on that front line of delivering the service to the clients. And if you don't have that stakeholder involved in decision-making and designing, uh, 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 you're missing some of your best knowledge about the clients when you're trying to figure it all out. Well, I, I, I agree with you. I that was, I was going to ask Stephen about this. I was, I was a little surprised that not one of the people that you thought needed to be on this, this team was not from operations. You know, I think that a lot of times the, you know, we didn't include in, in, you know, we need to improve satisfaction. I mean, you know, we started out as a feedback company back in 2004 and, I got news for folks. If you're just doing feedback, you're not doing CX. You're doing a component of CX and, and increasing satisfaction should not necessarily be the objective that you're trying to accomplish. And, and I find it hard without somebody on the operations team, you assess, you design, you do all these things. Well, if operations isn't leading the charge from the top down, Stephen, how do you, how do you make sure the change happens? Well, I didn't intentionally exclude operations because I hate them um, at, at all. I, I think that I think that you guys know me well enough to know that I, I'm I'm the most inclusive uh, person in this thing. I, like I I'm in favor of having the widest net of people like helping to solve the problem. I think you know I'm just battle worn. I've I've worked with so many clients that have you know, they have a butter knife and a pair of pliers. They don't even have an operations person. You know, if there's a 75 right. person firm, they got, they got some guy named Larry who is, you know, who's responsible for, you know, making sure that the, you know, the, 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 the lights work and the, you know, that, you know, there's an, there's an org chart uh, that's reflective of, of the organization for the most part. And that people are, uh, you know, people have the basic necessities in, in, in order to, you know, get their job done. You know, that, that operations and HR, you know, sometimes they, 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 they don't even know what the delineation of, of, of roles is in, in a lot of cases. If you're a larger firm, by all means, like, it, like in our experience, if, if you're like 250 or more, you do have an operations figurehead. They should by all means be um, involved in this and play a pivotal role. Yeah. And, and, you know, of course, the bigger the firm, then they've, they've typically got a chief quality person as well, right? Which would be a great add-on. Here, here's an interesting question. Uh, is there someone that should not be leading that task force? And is there a why? I'd say someone who doesn't have empathy deeply ingrained in their value system. And there's people who are born with empathy. There are people who have to develop skills for empathy but whichever one you're on, I, I think you can be successful as long as it's deeply ingrained in your value system. And, and I don't care what your title is. If the leader of the initiative is, is not driven and motivated by empathy, I think you've probably got the wrong leader. I think that's definitely a, a key component. Um, what I've seen is when you put someone in charge of a task force team that has no authority, that actually can't say, you know, we've, we've, we've brain dumped, we've put all this together, we've done all these, these activities, we've done all these workshops, we've done all these assessments, we've designed a program to move forward. And then 
can't do anything with it. There's not an authoritative figure on the task force. I can't, you can't have somebody from my perspective leading it that doesn't have the authority to say, yes, move forward, let's invest. I, I would like to add one more. Um, while N equals two, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm speaking from only two examples here, but um, I have such horrible experiences when the change management office is running the CX initiative uh, for a couple of reasons. And, and you know, in, in both cases, I spent a year and a half in Austin, Texas, working on a massive CX transformation. And it was being led by the um, change management office. And it was, it was a structural nightmare until that person was no longer in charge of it. And um, the second example was in a bank up in the Northeast um, same thing, change management office, you know, uh, a woman and about six people on her team were given the, you know, the opportunity to head up CX. It turned into a kind of a straw man and it was, it was theoretically strong, but th there was no, there, there was, you know, they didn't have the, the, the kind of psychological aspects of, of building coalitions of the willing to like get people to understand what, you know, that feedback is a currency and that, you know, there's all this, all this stuff that you have to do. It didn't, it didn't make it to their roadmap. And so when we came in and said, Hey, what about all these, all these other attributes? And you know, what about marketing and what about the buyer experience? You know, what about people who aren't your clients yet? Um, what did not fit into their scope of what CX should be. And for that reason, um, I'm going to, I'm going to um, short the uh, change management office. Wow. That makes wow. me think uh, one firm we worked with uh, the five dimension matrix organization. So not only was it, you know, kind of technically organized and, and then market organized, they had all these different, you know, like everybody had five bosses. And uh, one of their five dimensions was uh, all led up to the uh, director of corporate agility. And I don't think I've heard a more oxymoronic title and, and less effective division in a business as, as I, I did in that case. So uh, uh, yeah, I think you're on the right thing here, uh, Stephen. It's, it's less a matter of, is it the director of change management and more is change, is the change management office a functional, integrated, thriving uh, resource and asset to the organization? And if it's not, it ain't gonna be by yeah. dumping CX onto it. And, and uh, you know, I've seen so many CX programs fail because they make their new program dependent on some process or capability that they don't already have. And they say, this CX program is going to be the reason why we develop this new capability. You know, we've been talking for years about doing X, Y, Z, and we never did. But now that we want to do this, we're going to magically start doing X, Y, Z. You know, I, I think those are some of the other pitfalls to watch out for is, um, you know, build on what you've already got and, and, and um, don't let CX uh, become dependent on something you don't have. Let CX become an enabler to get those things. Yeah, that's church. That's church right there. Great point. <laughs> that is, that, I mean, absolutely. So this is this is going to be, a, uh, I think, a tough question because I don't think there is one thing 
But I think there are a number of things that firms can do to determine what is the best method of moving forward with a CX program, right? I mean, we talk about this sort of stuff all the time. Like if you're asking for feedback, don't ask if you can't do anything about it. Don't ask more people than you can respond to, right? As an example, don't, don't start a CX program that you actually can't operationalize change or you're, you're going to short your change management team. And so you're not going to be able to actually operationalize the change that you deem necessary to improve your client's experience. Ryan, is there something that you could suggest to our audience? Because there was a lot of depends answers today. It depends, right? What, are, what, are, what is one thing that you can mention that would be beneficial, worth the time, not heavily in investment to determine which direction or approach we should take our CX efforts? Oh, I'm, I'm going to frustrate you by saying it depends. Uh, <laughs> Yeah. What does your organization want to know most uh, that you don't know today? I think uh, knowledge can be a really good first step. And, uh, you know, do you even know what your clients think about you? Do you even know how good you really are? If you don't know, that can be a great first step. It can be a scary first step, but it's a great first step. do you need to know if, if your company is ready for it? Well, you know, you need to look inward and develop that knowledge. Um, do we have the right person to, to lead this thing? Uh, uh, do we know what this is worth to our organization? Well, if you don't know what it's worth, you got to spend some time figuring out, you know, can we make the business justification for CX? So, so, so I, I think there's a lot of knowledge steps but I think in most cases, the first step is one of those knowledge steps. And there's, I could probably think a half a dozen possible first steps that are gathering some knowledge so that we can know what our next step or steps are going to be. Great. Uh, Steven, I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. Steven? So I think there, there's a couple of things. Like if, if you can get your top level executive to commit 2.2% of your annual revenue on learning your clients better so that you can systematically serve them better in a 45 minute lunch, then go. I mean, that's, 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 that's an indicator that we pay attention to. Number two, uh, your company's propensity or their uh, willingness to embed a full-scale CX mindset into the culture of the org. So doing a, you know, doing the CX assessment, you know, what we're not talking about because we're not, we're not, you know, salesy. We're not trying to use this podcast as a, as an infomercial is that um, CX pilots and client savvy bring probably the most uh, telling uh, CX maturity assessment to the table. Um, why more people aren't signing up for that is really baffling. But I mean, if you want an indicator, there's nothing closer to an MRI that you, you basically, you know, go through this maturity assessment and it's going to tell you exactly why, how, um, what aspects of CX 
are you need to focus on most like if you're geographically distributed across multiple continents or states or whatever it's going to tell you where you need to focus it's going to tell you where you have pockets of skepticism where you know where your culture needs to adopt it at different levels i mean there's no better tool than to do that so if you have an if you have a you know a high a high level executive that says wow 2.2% of our annual revenue is a lot of money but yeah, we do want to know more about our, our, our clients so that we can systematically serve them better. And we are, we have the willingness to like lay down in this MRI machine and do this assessment, you know, to figure out where we need to scrutinize our investment in CX, then I think you're, you're, you're an excellent candidate. If you're not willing to do those two things, then you're going to have to, you're gonna have to join the race to the middle. Yeah. And I think with the fastest growing job title in professional services, having an X in it for experience, uh, it may quickly be a race to the bottom and not even the middle. You know, from my perspective, and specifically if you're an outcome oriented firm, if you're, if you're focused on business outcomes, it still amazes me how many firms out there aren't tracking profitability. I, I still don't understand that, but that it is what it is. But if you're an outcome-oriented, business outcome-oriented firm, I, I like Ryan's, what is this effort worth to you? I think that's really important to start because if you're outcome-oriented and you know what a CX effort is worth to you, then maybe that 2%, 2.2% isn't much. Maybe it's the urge and the push that you need to, to go to the next step. And then I think almost simultaneously, you have to know the CX maturity readiness. You have to know your actual client's perceptions. And, and once you understand what it's worth to you, once you understand the readiness of your firm and what your clients actually think about you, that combination of data points, when they come together, I think it paints a pretty darn straight line in, in the direction that you need to go. Um, and, and you'll have to determine, um, especially if you're a much larger firm, you will find, and Stephen, I, I know you're nodding your head even though I can't see you, you're going to find a whole lot of cultural misfits that don't follow your plan to be really, truly client-centric and focused on those, those business outcomes that mean something to the bottom line of the firm. Yeah, and I just add one thing, Blake. Um, if you say if you don't know what your clients think, like I think even more importantly, if and and in order, like if you don't know what your employees think, like if right. like we together, our our two firms have sat in the enormous professional services organizations together and saw lip service being paid to um, to the initiative. But then when the, the, the analysis came in, uh, we found that there was enormous atrophied faith and trust of the employees in leadership's ability to pull this off. You're not kidding. Multiple yeah. times. Yeah, your, your, your initiative's dead in the water. The, the cool part is you can fix that. You can fix that with, with, uh, with, a, with a drumbeat and a rallying cry and steady communications and you know, changes. But if you don't know that it's there, if you don't know that you have, you know, that you have this, like this sort of sickness in your company's culture and you, you endeavor to set out to, you know, achieve all these max, you know, maximum CX 
outcomes and a you know a really terrific ROI from it and and you don't have that information about what's what you know your your internal body of people that have to pull it off you are just absolutely screwed yeah yeah um wow just kind of a closing point here y'all you have to have this this data right uh you do not want to start down the path of initiating change based off your assumptions you got to understand the root causes of your challenges if you know you have an internal cultural that's sick and you think it's because, or you think it's because, or you think it's because, and you start making changes that don't actually resonate with your team, you're, you're another flavor of the month activity, another flavor of the month initiative that again, can create additional negative outcomes for your firm. So the more we talk about it, you know, the more it makes me say, you kind of got, you got to have this information. If you want to go down this path, if you want to go down the right path and you want to do it as effectively and as efficiently as possible, that internal, external and, and CX maturity assessment are, are key components to making sure it's done right the first time in the most cost-effective way with the most beneficial outcomes. And it's not even hard to do and it's not expensive. Like it's, I mean, this is something that any firm can have, they can have this data in their hands in like two and a half to three weeks. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, and and when, and when you have that data too, we, we haven't talked much about this, but uh, you know, there's a really zero based budgeting model plan you can put together here where you do some long-term strategy initiatives, you do short-term you know, low engagement, but high return, quick return engagements that help fund this the entire way through. And, uh, you know, when you have this data, it paints, again, a pretty clear roadmap of the things that you can do in sequential order to bring returns, make you more profitable, and fund whatever CX initiatives you're trying to put in place. Anything else, Ryan, you'd like to add to the close of this conversation? No, I got my uh, pun of the day in, so I was uh, I was very happy with that. I, I consider it a successful conversation. For all of us listeners, uh, Ryan is the dad joke captain and king of the United States. So enjoy his puns and his jokes. He's got lots of them. I thank you guys. You know, I always enjoy these conversations. They're they're always uh, pretty meaty. Lots of great information. Uh, we try for our listeners to to not keep this so high level that you can just go find this anywhere. As always, you can find us on any of your favorite podcast platforms. You can also submit questions to your favorite podcast platform as well as clientexperience.com, where you will find content or podcasts for the Client Experience Collaborative. We look forward to talking with you again. And uh, gentlemen, talk to you in a few weeks. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the Client Experience Collaborative Podcast. Please tell your friends and colleagues to subscribe on their favorite podcast app and visit us at clientexperience.com. Please also send us your feedback and questions for the next episode on our website. We'll be back in two weeks with another episode.